0: is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by the ThePilotReport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Neuville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Well, hello, everybody,
1: and welcome to the second episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast with uh, myself here tonight, Len Costa, and on the... On the call with me is Rick Felty and Carl Valeri. Victoria won't be with us tonight, but she will be joining us very soon. So um, as we record this episode, one of the first things that's actually going on right now in the aviation world is a lot of news about the Air France Flight 447, the finding of the black boxes. And uh, we had talked a little bit about this offline together and decided that it would be something worth uh, mentioning for a few minutes especially since Carl himself has some experience working with uh, with deep stalls. So, Carl, why don't you give us a little bit of perspective on some of the information that you've
2: heard? Well, sure. And, and as a review, they have uh, listened to the black boxes and have determined that there possibly was uh, a difference in the indications on their airspeed, both between the, the captain's side and also the first soft officer's side, um, and which also contributed to this. But uh, one thing that's been mentioned is that there, there's a possibility that they stalled at 38,000 feet and continued down without being able to recover. And they got into what's called a deep stall, a deep stall. And and what a deep stall is, I, I've been getting a lot of questions lately as to what is a deep stall. Well, I used to flight train in a Piper Tomahawk, which is a T-tail aircraft. You know, the tail is up high. And the elevator actually... Can be blanked out by the main wing when a stall uh, when a stall happens, and, and what what'll happen is we have usually some laminar flow over the wing, or we have continuous flow going over the wing. But when you get at a really really high angle of attack, an, an abnormally high angle of attack, and there's a stall on the main wing, that stall and the separation of the airflow will go beyond and around the tail so what happens there is we can't use our tail we can't right. push the nose down we can't recover from the stall and um, and that actually what we did in the tomahawk is we actually put more stall strips on there so it would stall at, at a higher speed and we wouldn't have our higher angle of attack excuse uh-huh. me and uh, we wouldn't have that blanking out of the tail so that's uh, something you're seeing in the news uh, quite often is, is the fact that that happened also another interesting thing that Uh, We we talked about before uh, is that the captain wasn't in the cockpit, which some people think oh wait a minute This doesn't make sense right, but on a long flight normally there are other Officers flight officers they called international relief officers that will be on the flight in other words If it's more than eight hours, they need to have an extra pilot well that pilot can't have three pilots up there at once so what they do is they have one in the back actually sleeping Or or resting during a period where the other two pilots are flying so that definitely was not abnormal and that happens every day Right.
1: Yeah, and as far as that goes, you know, the the uh, the international um, relief officers are Actually PIC type rated on Mm -hmm. the equipment that they fly So even though they might not be acting as far as the company is concerned in the capacity of PIC and or captain they do have the training and the qualifications to operate as far as the FAA is concerned and ICAO standards to fly that plane, pilot, in command. So yeah. the fact yeah. that the captain wasn't in there, uh, you know, the, the, other, the other pilots were no less qualified by any means. Right, right.
2: By the way, on, on the deep stall, I, you know, hopefully I was able to describe it to you. I will have some pictures on my website in the next week okay on the uh, export aviator it uh, you know a pictures where it's a thousand words you yeah. know, and you actually look at this and say oh my gosh this makes sense that's that could have been what happened there and i don't know about you you lend uh but stalling a jet you know the last time i did a stall on a jet it took me and i did a really good job i thought it took me fourteen thousand feet to recover <laughs> wow and, uh, so that that's a, that's a long way down you know you're you're, you're descending fairly quickly and normally you have to really get that nose uh, pointed at the ground and to, to recover from a stall in a jet, especially a, a swept wing jet. A swept wing, yeah. Like a, wow. I,
1: oh. I haven't actually done a full stall in the simulator, usually just the... You know, the normal ones to so the stick shaker, but the folks that have commented on it have said similar things to you, losing tens of thousands of feet. Oh yeah, you know, in just one inch you know one attempt, uh, recovery attempt: Quite exciting.
3: Well I, I you know I just, as a you know, GA pilot watching reading this stuff, I was fascinated by how much time and effort, as I said earlier to you guys, that, that they clearly it matters that they found those boxes, and then fairly quickly, you know a report came out with uh, some early details. And I guess, I also assume there'll be, there'll be more details. You know, we will get a lot more, you know, specific, but this, this early report I thought was interesting that it came out so quickly.
2: Now, Rick, you I wasn't following the whole recovery effort. Did they mention, uh, the, the manpower that was involved and the time involved, et cetera. You know, and then yeah. It I don't
3: always- know that. I, yeah, I don't know that I can quote it. I, I, I believe I, you know, it's, I think it's millions. I don't know how many millions, you know, mm-hmm. but I think, and it's obviously taken them a while. And, um, you know, and the the technology is available to do it. It's just you know a mountainous underwater, deep underwater area where it went where it went in, and if it went in at the speed that they said, you know, the, clearly it was descending very rapidly. I don't know if you saw those numbers today, but uh, was, no,
2: yeah, I was looking it, for it on
3: the market. Yeah, I'll. I'll well, maybe I'll track them down while we're talking about other stuff. We can come back and touch on that. But they, they were they were moving, and I also thought I saw something that indicated that the jets, uh, the, the engines themselves, had not been throttled back very much at all, mm-hmm. like they weren't able to, or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I, I think you know they get why it matters that they figure this stuff out, and uh, and it's a it's a good thing for aviation in general that we we all start to know what happens. So oh, yeah. can't, I can't wait to hear more as they as they you know organize the report officially.
1: Yeah, I happen to have, uh, a, let's see, this is from the International Business Times, the report that actually came out today, um, May the 27th at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. One, one area mentions that at the altitude of 35,000 feet, the angle of attack exceeded 40 degrees, and uh-huh. the vertical speed became minus 10,000 feet per minute. And yeah. at the time that the recording stopped, there was a vertical speed of negative ten thousand nine hundred and twelve feet per minute. So that thing, it was it was in a a deep descent, wow. uh, yeah. and, a, and a pitch attitude of sixteen point two degrees nose up. So it wasn't a significant stall attitude. Mm-hmm.
3: That's a it's it's a, it's it's that's a lot. Those are those are sobering numbers.
1: Yeah, they they definitely are. It's a. Yeah, I was talking to a gentleman on Twitter about it, how I felt that it was kind of a a sad event uh, that, you know, it's easy to sit back and Monday morning quarterback different things, accidents and events in life. But, you know, to look at something like this and wonder how aviation professionals in a larger airplane can find themselves as disoriented as, as you know, a new pilot to to have something like tragic like this occur, is, it's definitely sobering
3: yeah and a reminder maybe a reminder to all of us even someone at my level fairly new pilot that you know that staying ahead of the plane and 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 situational awareness and all that is crucial all the time and and even in that situation those guys highly trained um and they got some it looked like they got some bad some bad uh information and based some decisions on that but then got in to a point where they couldn't they couldn't get out of it right wow
1: yeah that was right Interesting. Well, I'll uh, link the article in the show notes that I'm looking at, so we'll have something for the folks listening to, to take a look at. Now entering cruise flight. Well, let's move on to, um, to, to Carl, actually. Carl, for, the, for those of you who are not sure, Carl is actually on vacation uh, this week and has had an opportunity <laughs> to spend some time enjoying some air oh. travel, personal air travel, in his 182. Tell us of, maybe about oh, an adventure boy. or two this week.
2: <laughs> it, it's been wonderful, actually. You have to pull me off the ceiling I, I'm, you know, on <laughs> cloud nine. It's, it's, uh, you know, if you, I, I'm a partner in a 182, and I was able to get the airplane for this week. And I had the whole week off, so it was just me and my airplane. And I was able to actually bring some friends up. And um, there's there's nothing like a flight cation, you know, flight cation. You know, I don't know how to say it, but it's a a flying vacation is terrific. What I did is I introduced uh, a few people to flying, uh, and I was able to do some sunrise tours, some sunset tours, do the hundred dollar hamburger. And what what it did for me is it it just reinvigorated my love and my passion for aviation. You know, this was not just flying straight and level hour after hour. This was taking off and, and realizing the freedom of flight. Saying, hey, you know, that looks like a really neat airport. Oh, boy, let me go look at that over there, and I can actually turn and go take a look at it. See, people that that fly for the airlines we can't do that we can't just yeah. go look at something and this <laughs> That's is just, what i miss like, ah this is terrific <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was so excited and then what i did is i went to all these airports and i uh went and had breakfast and lunch and i took all sorts of pictures as a matter of fact i, I uh, decided i'm gonna put some blog posts out with uh, my pictures uh went to uh, winter haven airport home of uh, jack brown seaplane base and uh that was that was pretty interesting and then uh we, uh, we also went to Sebring Airport, had the uh, best uh, bl- blueberry pancakes I've ever had. That was terrific. And Sebring Airport is in the center of Florida, right near Avon Park in this, this large bombing range. And, of course, this airfield was used during World War II, but now part of the airport is actually a racetrack. Oh, neat. So a lot of these people come to this airport to eat lunch and dinner at this cafe and to enjoy the flying but also the racing. Here's another really interesting thing I found during my flying around Florida. Uh, I'm based in Tampa, and uh, what I found was that a lot of these airports have actually built these incredible new uh, terminal buildings, and Mm -hmm. inside these terminal buildings, they've made these, these, these beautiful entrances, and then onto the side they've put a large porch. So instead of actually entering... And a terminal building, I felt like I was entering someone's home, with a mm-hmm. large porch, with rocking chairs, and I'm sure you've probably seen these. But I was like, "Wow, what is, what is <laughs> this? This is something that's intriguing me now. What has happened over the past five years? Why have they built all these new terminals? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting, you know, to, to ask the the people, the airport authorities, you know, how did they get their funding, et cetera, and um, and the, most of them were just willing to sit with me and talk for for actually. A little bit too long, but you know, it was quite interesting, uh, the, the stories of how they were able to allocate the funds and also the designs they came up with. They wanted to have a place that was inviting and warm. And I said, boy, I tell you, you really did that. Mm-hmm. So if, if you get a chance, I know that everybody talks about doing a $100 hamburger. You really need to start looking at some of these places because places that were shut down – and were closed that had restaurants on the field. They're now reopening, and mm. and I was like, that, that's exciting to me because if you know, I know some people know there there's you know a recession or there's a downturn I should say in the economy going on right now, and and to see new buildings and new cafes and new restaurants is is absolutely exciting and and uh, terrific, and I've uh, just just been blessed to be able to have this week. We, me, you know, my airplane and I just mm-hmm. flying around. And I think one of the best parts was I actually took, uh, finally, uh, you know, my girlfriend's afraid of flying. It's interesting. She's afraid <laughs> of flying.
1: But her,
2: her grandfather was a test pilot for Grumman.
1: Oh, nice. And uh,
2: we uh, we went out and took a, a trip down Tampa Bay over the Skyway Bridge, over Eggmonkey, Key, this beautiful island with, with turquoise and uh, colored waters right outside the island and went up the coast and flew over her home and then flew down the intercoastal waterway back over to st petersburg airport and uh she just it what was really interesting and and is at the end she said wow she says i don't want to go back i was mm-hmm. like no nope, you got it <laughs> now you know what i feel <laughs> like every day so yes yeah, so it, it was just it was absolutely terrific and mm-hmm. and uh i i I'm definitely going to do this again. I, I will. I've been wanting. I've been planning this for over a year, and it worked out perfectly. Uh, the uh, oh, the other thing that I learned too is the gas prices are a little high now.
3: Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was Like wow.
2: <laughs> I found that, that out was, last weekend too. <laughs> yeah, that that was pretty pretty incredible. And oh, you know, another interesting thing you know we were yeah. talking about flying, uh, or Lem was talking about flying IFR. Uh, uh, on his uh, website, I actually, I got some actual,
4: mm-hmm. and uh-huh. I,
2: in, in actual, in a in a small airplane, it was pretty exciting, I'm sitting there thinking, wait, where's my other engine, where's my other instruments, oh, wow, <laughs> 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 this is <just> it. <laughs> that's so it. It,
4: it,
2: it was absolutely exciting, but that, uh, so if you get a chance, if you can do it, even if it's for three days, just to experience that, even if you, you can rent a, a plane, if you can get into a club, and take the plane for, for a few days and have it as your own. Even the feeling of having an airplane, the freedom of just being able to walk out to this plane, right. jump in, and go anywhere you want.
3: Just on mm-hmm. it. Terrific. Wow. And, and so it so, sounds, I'm sorry. I'm just so excited. Yeah. Weather, weather, <laughs> weather sounded good for you, but, but in places, you, you know, you, didn't, you, you, got some, you got some actual.
2: Well, it, the weather was terrific. I just filed at 3,000 feet over central Florida in the morning at 3,000 feet. That's where the clouds are. Right. Oh, yeah, I see. They, they start at 3,200 and go down to about 2,500. Mm-hmm, and okay. uh, over the central Florida area, that's normally where you're going to get your actual IFR. Oh, it was incredible. It was a beautiful day, and here I am in the clouds. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> How did I do this? <laughs> but, yes, I always file, by the way, too, uh, when I'm doing cross-countries. And, and I found that, you know, it's just a little, a little safety uh, thing for me, and uh, I think it's a good idea to file anything, you know, VFR or IFR when you mm-hmm. file. Yeah. Uh, that's a personal
1: opinion. I have the same feelings about that. I definitely file. Well, wow. uh, you know, what? even I think more so, I don't know if it's from, from working in the airlines all the time, but I like that comfort of uh, an IFR flight plan and having just one more person watching out for your back. Because, you know, Carl and I at least are fairly comfortable flying in a two-crew environment. So when I get back into a single engine or even just a GA airplane and I'm single pilot, it. You know, it's a little it's uh it takes me a moment to get readjusted and remember I'm have all the responsibility. <laughs> I got to talk, twist, turn, throttle, you know, all the good stuff. It's all me in there. So, yeah. you know, usually take the IFR flight plan uh if it's cross country, if it's just a local flight going around having a good time, but um yeah, cross country yeah. wise I'll take that extra just that extra little, you know, those other pair of eyes watching me.
3: Hey Carl, can I ask you a question about did did anything as you flew around? Did any situation surprise you in terms of any of the airports you went into, the patterns, the, oh, yeah. the approaches? Was yeah. there anything that made you go, whoa, didn't see that coming? I guess I'll I did, adjust You know,
2: it, it really did. There, there was one thing. I did a horrible landing in Winterhaven, Haven. And, <laughs> and I said to myself, my gosh, you know, this is, it was very humbling because I, yeah. I have to change my mode of thought from little plane, jet to little plane, jet to little plane. And I, I came in super fast. Yeah. I'm floating way down the <laughs> runway. Right. I'm like, why am I not landing? That's like, oh my gosh! I don't do 100 knots on final. I do right. 65. <laughs> it's a big difference. But you know, it, it, it's interesting. You said that because I flew with some friends who are also pilots, and we learned quite a few things. One of the things I'm talking about, uh, you know, uh, on my website is, you know, what what did you know was that person talking to me? And uh, when you know the controller would come back looking for the Grumman and I'm in a Cessna. And they kept calling Grumman, and I realized, wait a minute, he's talking to me.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And then came back and said, oh, yeah, he's talking to me. So we, we really need to listen up. So that, that those things I, I learned a little bit there. And also um, parking at airports.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, you're uh, I know this is going to sound strange because I, I don't fly as much GA as I do you know in the airlines. Right. And this gets me a little nervous to this day is where do I park?
4: Yeah, I I'm
2: sitting there. I'm pulling up to this huge tarmac. Now, did I do it right? I get out of the airplane in sebring and i said to him hey did i park correctly he says well actually no <laughs> he says, <laughs> was really nice to me though because i was going to buy some gas and he says you really should have been turned the other way but you know what there's nobody here don't worry about it but normally you should turn all the way around next time you come so it's a very humbling right. experience when you
3: get out there and start yeah going into i no, the different that's, airports, you know i, I agree that, that there are moments where where our where I've gone, wait, I I hope someone greets you know, I hope someone's there. I hope mm-hmm. there's a linesman or, or somebody to come out and say, you know, let me know what to do. Um and and I look, you know, I look ahead. I do I, I go online and I look at aerials to mm-hmm. see approximately where the parking should be, you know, so I'm aware of at least mm-hmm. how it tends to look. But you know, you you can't always count on it. And so I agree with you about that. It is Without help, it's hard to know, especially first time in. So,
2: so Rick, now you get aerials. You said, how about uh, other tools? Have you ever used like Flight Guide or anything like that? Because yeah. that's, I'm going to go back to using that because those are terrific tools. You know mm. where where to park, who the FBO is, what their frequencies are. Right, um, it's true.
3: I also call. I if it, you know, I have called up, and said, hey, I just want to, you know. I want to verify a couple of things, especially if I think I'm going there for a reason, like there's a restaurant or or if there are two sides to the airport. You know, I just want to talk to someone and go. Or if they're having, you know, they're having an event, how busy is it going to be? And, you know, just to clarify a few things. And, and usually people are very really helpful. It's easy, it's easy enough to talk to them ahead of time. First time in, I know there's a mountain or a hill over here to the right. You know, I, I, I've actually situationally discussed that with some people, especially for airports that have trickier, uh, re, you know, uh, ground uh, relationships to other obstacles. Mm-hmm. Why not? That's a good point.
2: Uh, that a calling ahead, I think, is a great idea. As a matter of fact, that's one thing we did. We were going to a place called Cedar Key, and yeah. there's, no, there's no terminal. There's nothing out there. And when you're flying in, one of the taxi services listens to the Unicom frequency and you can get a taxi in the town. We were to go there for lunch, but or excuse me for breakfast. And then we realized it would take us, you know, a good couple hours. And my, you know, my friend had to get to work. And by us calling ahead, like you said, Rick, that that we realized, hey, you know, we're not going to be able to do this. Let's just go somewhere where there's actually an air, a restaurant right at the airport.
4: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: And uh, that is that is smart to get, to give that call ahead. But I think there's a lot, some websites out there I'm going to start looking at. I know the Flight Guide. I also use Ford Flight. And I was wondering if there's anything else, Rick or or Len, that you guys use. Um,
1: I actually just got – I can't even believe it, to tell you the truth. Last weekend, I took – I borrowed my friend's Piper 6X and went out and got single-engine current and then (laughs) took my – Took my girlfriend out for her very first small airplane ride, which ended up being a, like, $210 hamburger, which was <laughs> awesome. Absolutely awesome, by the way. But uh, I was looking for something similar because I got into Flight, which is a very nice application. And, and I've got some things to actually talk about that a little bit later on in the podcast. But I noticed that... What I'm accustomed to in the Jeppesen plates is there's generally an, you know, an airport diagram, and I'm looking in for flight at the airports that I was operating out of Danville, Virginia, and in and out of uh, it was between Danville, Virginia, and Lewisburg, West Virginia, and I noticed that there wasn't an actual airport diagram other than the little thumbnail that they show in the corner of the right. nos plate. So right. I didn't, I guess I didn't go, I didn't necessarily come to the airport. prepared as far as ground operations, because it's been a while since I'd been at both airports, and I kind of forgot the taxi routes, and you can't see a taxi designation like Alpha or Charlie in that thumbnail. It's not necessarily a, a function that's missing from ForeFlight itself, but it's just that the NOS plates don't necessarily have. And, and it may be the same way in Jeppesen. Obviously, I'm used to using them at work for major airports. And, and so I was trying to think to myself, maybe I should use either flightplan.com or airnav.com and potentially print or save to PDF. A, a, a an actual airport diagram before going out to the airport, or at least double checking to see if I'm at one of these smaller airports. You, do I need the Do I need to bring this in addition to the information that I already have with me? Because that was definitely something I was missing yeah. last week.
2: Do they have those, or do they just have the government publications? So I'm wondering. if they have um, um, that, that's And that's something I ran up against. That's why I'm starting to look towards the flight guides and those type of things and trying to figure out if I'm going to start using those instead. Of,
1: yeah, to be honest, I just forget because I haven't used flightplan.com or airnav.com recently. But I used to – I mean that was one place that you could generally print off print off a couple of airport charts if you needed. So it may, and they may be the government ones as well. I just have to get back looking into it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and again actually, it, Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I was no. going to say, again, it's getting on the ground and trying to figure out where you're going is, is always, uh, you know, some source of consternation. You know, you're sitting there saying, oh, my gosh, you know, where am I and what's it, what way do I go? As a matter of fact, my student I took up on one flight, and uh, he says, hey, Carl, let me show you how to get to the end of the runway. I was like, wow, I had been flying to this airport for a long time, and he showed me a new taxiway to get down to the end of the runway where I don't even have to cross any runways. I was like, oh, that's terrific. It, I would never would have thought of doing that because it wasn't even charted,
3: oh interesting,
2: yeah
1: yeah huh okay, but, strange
2: uh, but yeah Rick that that's uh it's interesting you're probably thinking, gosh, these guys have all this experience, but now they they, they uh, don't know how to get around an airport
3: <laughs> well it's, it's i yeah the, it's good to be reminded that that it's not just uh, us new guys that have that no. same challenge, and yeah, and I do you know i i try to get a gen you know the other reason to look at the you know google earth view of the airport ahead of time is you know what's around how does how will it look sort of what can i expect to see and you know i've been it's it's sort of helped a lot in several you know in the last say year of uh, approaching airports i've never approached before to to you know, even even on a hazy day to have a pretty good sense of of what i'm seeing of course i'm you know you just get better at that as you go anyway so in terms of being able to pick out an airport from a distance
1: mm-hmm. true true and one of the things that i was actually wanted to put together in the near future is uh, something regarding briefings as far as because at work Carl and I use Extensive briefings, uh, pre or a uh, takeoff briefing and an approach to landing briefing, as far as going through what kind of inst- what kind of uh, instrument approach we're going to do, mm. what kind of you know SIDs and stars there are, taxi routes, emergencies. We go through this all the time, and I've, I had used that in flight training a long time ago, and it was something that I was actually going to put together in a nice discussion format to hopefully share sometime in the in the following weeks and how we kind of do that. And how to adapt, I'm going to put to what I'm really going to do is take the information that I've used and adapt it to the GA world and hopefully Hmm. get something out there that might be useful to, you know, to folks in in a similar situation. How do you go from point A to point B with all the small things in the middle as far as the aspects of deciding how are you going to get the, you know, which approach? And the biggest thing for me is generally it is taxing. It's the strangest thing. But once you get on the ground, Hmm. it's a whole different world. Trying oh, to find yeah. your way around to this, you know, this taxiway and this FBO. So, I'll right. share that with you guys as soon as I put something together.
3: Cool. Yeah. I'll be, I'm also looking forward. If you, I don't know if you're going to go into flight now, but at some point to hear sure, your actually,
1: fore. yeah, I can um, yeah. Flight I've. I played around with Flight when it first came out, uh, and when I first got the iPad about a year ago. And we don't—I uh, don't necessarily use it at work per se. We don't—we definitely don't use it in the flight deck. It's—it's uh, it's one of those things that qualifies under, you know, not using personal electronic devices, even for us up front. But I have gotten to using the version on my iPhone just to check the radar before, um, before flights. And so this weekend, actually, when I, when I was out flying, was the very first time that I've used for flight from start to finish. Mm. And I got on the device, and I did my, uh, my all my weather briefing information, put in my flight to the destination departure, checked the weather charts, the diagrams. I clicked the brief button and got my briefing and i filed ifr through it and one of the features that i had must have potentially missed in the the, the product description was you actually get an email of not only your flight plan in fact it's two emails one email is your flight plan as filed and the second is the briefing that you receive back from duots and at first glance i didn't realize that i had even had that i figured it was just saved in, uh, in in the application itself for me to review in the air and then mm-hmm. when I got to Lewisburg and i was filing my flight plan i noticed i had emails i checked it i said hey i'll have (laughs) to know that next time before i actually take off make sure i download my email so i have a backup in case four flight crashes out you know and i want to check the weather i still have a backup that's it's either saved or in textual format in the email so i really appreciated that aspect of it and um, having not used it in its earlier stages i Felt that I know there had been some discussion on how the internal GPS of the iPad behaved with uh, flight itself, but it worked pretty well for me uh, this weekend. And the the you know the, the biggest deviation I saw was basically in the altitude, which I don't necessarily expect it to be
3: right.
1: to be spot on, but I'd say it was anywhere from 100 to 300 feet within my actual altitude the entire time. So I was pleased with the product overall, yeah. especially from from my first real you know, start to finish use of it on a flight. It was uh, it was great. It was very helpful.
2: Yeah, I, I tell you, that's it, flight is terrific. I use it all the time uh, for almost every flight, and uh, I've you know fly, filed dozens and dozens of uh, of uh, flight plans, and I think it's terrific. And uh, but uh, like you were saying, there there's some things that they don't really go through, and that that uh, I, well, I was surprised when I saw maybe it's in the documentation. Uh, There is something I was wondering, Len, when you were filing uh, your flight plan, Mm -hmm. did you ever change your departure time? Because that's something that I've been trying to figure out how to do with 4Flight is Uh if I filed my flight plan for 1230 and now I want to go at 1 o'clock.
1: Oh, um, as in you know, recalling a already filed flight plan. Uh, Flightplan.com
2: yeah. will let you do that, and all these other online. But to, right. the, the Flight I could not figure out how to do that.
1: Right, and uh, I would just say at first glance that that may not be a function only because I remember specifically, unless Rick, that you're familiar of a way to recall a file, a, an already filed flight plan. I'm just kind of still new to ForeFlight. Yeah, in I'm general. not.
3: I'm not actually clear on that. You're right, and yeah. I and I actually could do some. You know, take uh, take that as. Kind of homework assignment and looking okay. at for the next show.
2: I will say what what I did is that you, you'll see that in your file and brief section on four flight, yeah. mm-hmm. it'll tell you whether you filed that flight plan. What I did is I filed another flight plan with another oh. departure time, and it was a you know it was a little confusing like hey we got two flight plans I filed which one is it you know? uh, yeah yeah and that type of thing so that that's that's what I've done. But if uh, yeah Rick or if anybody knows gosh they you know to to put that through and, and figure out how we can actually, you know, change that flight time on the and, yeah, or c- anything, really. And yeah, say c- you want three pilots instead or three passengers instead of right. three.
3: Right. Amending it in some way. Let me yeah, yeah let me uh, send a couple emails around, see what I can find out. That'd okay. be terrific.
2: Yeah. Um and you know um I was Len, I was wondering did you have any problems with glare on on the uh on the iPad and others? Uh, Were you wearing sunglasses yeah. and using it?
1: uh i was both but glare is definitely an issue i know (laughs) that rick and some other folks have tried some different variations of glare screens i tried one a while ago that i had bought and to be honest with you i don't know if it was this particular brand that i had purchased that it was it made my ipad screen look like chop suey you could I mean, I, I'm very. I have very good vision in the way of when I looked at this screen, I could see that everything looked pixelated. I could see the red, the green, the blue pixels mm-hmm. that were generated by this uh, by this glare shield that was put on there. And obviously, that's probably a, def- a design feature that caught you know whatever, however they manufacture this this uh, shield to in order to reduce the glare but i tried the one and I, I i took it off and i brought it back and i apologized to the guy and it's like it makes my ipad look like trash and i absolutely hate it and uh, yeah, he's, wow. he said you know i've seen he's like i think they're all like that just because well, of the nature of it
3: i had you know i had one for for a while um and it did not do that so i can say that that's not universally it okay. does mm-hmm. it does knock down the brightness a bit and things are you know in general it's less crisp. I love looking at the screen without it. And I had it on there for a long time and I just left it on because I, you know, well, one, c- count on the fact that they're difficult to put on and take off and you'll end up with a, a dust underneath it and a bubble or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just part of the deal. But but um, I, once I took it off again, I decided I'd rather live with the glare and work around that, depending on the plane, uh, rather than rather than have, you know, things seem a little mm-hmm. less crisp. But I did not see that uh, tiling effect, you know, like a polarization or whatever right. you, you saw. Yeah. And so I imagine it is different, you know, for different people. But glare is okay. an issue, and obviously it's worse depending on the, the plane and your orientation. I mean, it seems to me in 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 planes, maybe like high-wing GA planes or planes that are a little less sun-direct, it might be better in general than, than uh, you know, something like like a diamond, which is a... You know, bubble canopy kind of. So, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, that's that is something I dealt with. I did for a while, and I've since uh, kind of abandoned it for just because I think it's sharp without it.
1: Yeah, it's mm. it's definitely sharper. I I mean, it was there was glare. I didn't have a big problem with it. It's it's slightly obnoxious, but I got by. Uh, if there were some basic things that I wrote down on the knee board before I left anyway, as far as my frequencies for tower ground clearance, uh, traffic pattern altitude, anything that was pertinent that i didn't necessarily want to reach for the ipad i just had it written down on the on my just regular knee pad for a quick reference so in flight to just use it mostly to check um you know just check up on some stuff and check some charts but uh, for the most part i it was it was all right you know what are
2: you gonna do
3: i think it's interesting oh go
2: ahead i was gonna say the one thing that's really good is when you land and you hit fbo you can it'll pop up the fbo's frequency I really like that one. It says FBOs in the yeah. top right corner under the airports. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, I sound smart when I can, boom, put the actual frequency in right away. Because <laughs> my, my Garmin doesn't have that in there. <laughs> and uh, so I, I just, I really like that function quite a bit. And it has the fuel prices, by the way.
1: Do yes. Does yeah, anybody yeah. remember uh, what powers that? Because I don't know how accurate they are. I'm not quite sure how to read the color coding on there.
2: Um, no.
3: I don't know. I, I'm looking at one right now, and I don't see, I don't see an explanation of where the data is coming from.
2: Because I've saw Cause you can update the price too yourself.
1: Right, you know? and and I actually saw, I may be, I may be speaking incorrectly, but I thought that I had recalled that they were color coded potentially, unless I'm thinking of a different service. Yeah, they are color coded. And I don't know if that meant that it went up recently or down recently or if it denotes the age of the last update. These are just a few things I was quite unsure about.
3: Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Um,
1: question. But, yeah, flight plan worked well for me um, you know, in, in the IFR environment. You know, I was actually thinking, has anybody, Carl, yourself, or I know, Rick, you haven't started instrument training, but hmm. maybe you've seen uh, Jeppesen TC, in, in any sort of demonstration on the iPad, Carl or Rick? Have you seen uh, that in
2: person? I've seen it at Sun and Fun, that's it. Okay.
3: No, I've not seen it. Uh, I
2: didn't get to see the full demo. But I, no. was,
1: I was actually thinking the other day, maybe would it not possibly be a neat function for you to use your JEPTC account within ForeFlight? So for folks that have that and they want to use the, the flight planning function, on top mm. of JEP, and I don't know, maybe JEP does it again. I haven't used the application, but I thought real quickly the other day maybe that would be something fun, uh, or maybe that'd be an interesting recommendation to see if you could have uh, access to your account and use your JEP charts within ForeFlight.
3: Flight. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that is interesting.
1: I don't know. That. Yeah. So I thought uh, maybe I would send a recommendation after I. Understood some of the apps a little bit more uh, because I have not used the JEPTC. There's a couple of charter guys that I know down in southwest Virginia that went from JEPTC and switched over to ForeFlight. I think I don't know if it was for the price or the flight planning functionality, but when I saw them a few months ago, they were using JEPTC. And when I saw them last weekend, they were now using ForeFlight, and I thought it was the greatest thing.
2: Wow. Yeah. I, I do think it's wonderful. I, I will say that I use it all the time mm-hmm. and for everything, for work. I'll, you know, before I take off, like like you said, look at the radar, and I, mm-hmm. it's just a wonderful tool. And, uh, you know, like I my, said, my students use it. You know, getting back to that glare screen issue, it was mm-hmm. funny because when I went over to Office Depot, the gentleman had told me there's lots of glare screens on for the glare shield, excuse me, for the uh, GPSs for the cars. And then I went over, because I'm into boating, I went to the West Marine, and he said the same thing. And the person at West Marine said something really interesting to me. He says, you know, there's, there's things that you can put in a car. And when you put it in a boat, it's ten times the price as when you put it in a car. <laughs> if you put it in an airplane, it's ten times the price as when you put it in a boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Boy, that is so true. <laughs> it's, you know, because honestly, I, the, our, I think I've told you this, but the G, we use a uh, Garmin uh, 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 Marine GPS for weather in okay. our aircraft,
4: hmm.
2: and uh, just so that we can see where the thunderstorms are. So it's just uh, because it's so much cheaper than I actually getting the aviation one. And Interesting. Uh, yeah, that's one like- of my partners found one. and he says, "Hey, this is so cheap. Let's go ahead and throw it in there." Of course, you know, it, you're using it to try to get around some of the weather. It's terrific for that, but you know, it doesn't have all the aviation weather in there. But yeah, you mm-hmm. know, I, the radar.
3: It's very funny. I I even use for flight just just in my, you know, in my life, in my non-flying life mm-hmm. for, for weather, you know, we, you know, we're doing sort of shoots, video shoots outside and, you know, the detail within, you know, you know, within there in terms of weather, given the area we're in, I, I can look at that and give a pretty, you know, much more accurate picture of weather than I can get from many other sources. So that, that and a few other sites I like to use for mm-hmm. weather, for, for aviation. So it's kind of helpful. Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm. Uh, Going back to, I wanted to see if you guys have used these websites, but going back to, you know, going out for flying for that $100 hamburger, one that I had, I actually have a link to on my website is funplacestofly.com. And I usually look that up for, actually, this isn't necessarily just for food, but it even has like events, pancake fly ins. And another one that I just heard about the other day from um, Jay Talman, 1959, on Twitter was fly the number 2 so fly2lunch.com uh this there're a couple of new websites that I've just come across as far as if you're looking to go to a destination go on across country with the intent of finding some you know a place to eat have you guys
2: used or heard of either of those no um, those are new to me okay yeah actually the fly to lunch i found on your website and and i just uh, started looking at it it's it's pretty good
1: Okay, yeah. I like I, that one. I just uh, put a link up there a, a day, well, I think within the last week.
2: And the Fun Places to Fly, I actually just pulled it up. That looks really interesting also. Because at all these airports, you know, one of the things I mentioned, I was going to lunch at these places, but many of them also have some museums. If you take a look yes. at my website, you'll see that I've actually gone and taken pictures of these museums in these airports. And they also have, you know, art exhibits. And uh, as a matter of fact, one of the, one of the ladies at the airport, they actually gave me four prints that they used, uh, prints of the artwork they used on the walls
4: mm-hmm. on
2: these huge murals. And, uh, they had, there's so much history at all these airports and, uh, and websites like you just mentioned, fun places to fly that that's terrific. You know, it can, and that's the reason we got into this is we want to go places, learn things. And, and uh, I've really, you know, that, that is one thing that lately I, has really excited me about aviation is how much history mm-hmm. I've been learning uh, just by going to these places and, uh, and, you know, going to lunch and then saying, hey, there's yeah. a museum. Or there's, you know, <laughs> walk outside and see this, and, and it's terrific. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. so, cool. And I have a little tidbit of, of, of history later we can get to, though. Okay. One of my flights. I retraced a famous flight. So uh-huh. that was another thing. I, I, had forgot, I had forgotten to mention that.
3: But. There's a teaser. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Which
3: flight is it? It's probably not Amelia Earhart. the first. Air-hard. Yeah,
2: it's, it's not Amelia Earhart. Oh. oh. Did you get it?
3: <laughs> no. Do <But>, uh, <laughs> you,
2: know, uh, you want me to go ahead and I'll, I'll let you know now what, what that was? But, sure. Uh, the, uh, the, there's a first flight that happened in Tampa Bay, and there's a little museum that actually has the actual history of scheduled airline service. Now, why is that? The first scheduled commercial airline flight was from St. Petersburg to Tampa, Florida. Wow. Across the bay. And the reason that they did that, now this was on uh, January 1st, 1914, is when they instituted this. And it was in flying boats. And there's a plaque in the Tampa side in, in, in an intersection of these large roads. And it's off Bayshore Boulevard for anybody who's from Tampa listening. And on the St. Pete side, there's a history museum, and it has the history of commercial aviation in there. And the name of the person who flew it was Tony Janis. And so I retraced that flight back and forth across the bay myself, and and I, I just couldn't. I was just thinking, wow, it, it's amazing that this is such a short flight for us nowadays. And here I am using my GPS. And, and to them, that this was this was something that was was record breaking. They were able to get across the bay, whereas before they had to take a boat, or they had to take a long train ride because they had to go all the way around using the train. Mm-hmm. Wow! And, uh, and as a matter of fact, that Tony Janus, if you know the Tony Janus Award, if you're familiar with that, it's uh, Tony Dan- Janice Distinguished Aviation Society was actually founded in in Tampa, Florida, in uh, 1963. And uh they have that award at uh Tampa International Airport, the Tony Janis Award. And you'll uh see people like uh uh Herb Kellner, uh, Eddie Rickenbacker, uh Jimmy Doolittle, uh yeah. you know, Chuck Yeager's one of the mm-hmm. uh, people that won the award. And uh uh what's uh Gordon Bethune, is it also another one. Oh okay. And that's actually right there at uh at uh, Tampa Airport. So that was wow, that true. was kind of exciting for me to to actually go back and forth across the bay, I did it twice, and I was like wow this this is pretty interesting what What really struck me though is that i couldn 't go straight like he was able to do because there was a, a couple of uh, f uh, what do they call f eighteens in front of me mm-hmm. because right in front of me when i 'm doing that crossing there is a place called MacDill Air Force Base, huh. So I had to actually go around that but uh, but that was that was and if anybody 's in the area, they really need to to, to check out this this museum and and, uh, and I've learned, I learned it quite a bit as far as uh, commercial aircraft, because one of the things they had to change is, I guess, and I have to look into this, is that it was the first commercial airline flight in the world using heavier-than-air aircraft. So someone's saying that there were some other scheduled flights that uh, were using maybe balloons. I'm not sure, but I'm going to have to look into that. And I just discovered that on this flight, too. So that's my little tidbit of aviation history for today. Well, that's, that's great. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah,
1: it was fun. <laughs> so, Rick, uh, yes. tell us a little bit about your close comfort with the
3: Boston Bravo airspace. <laughs> well, yeah, I just thought this was worth worth touching on just briefly because for me, um, you know, it was early. This was this was a while ago, but um, I think you know worth kind of going over. I I had some sense of flight following as a as a student, but hadn't hadn't used it a lot and. Um, wasn't quite completely clear i mean there's a, there's a thing I guess I would say about flight following that it gives you a false sense of uh, being in the system because you're sort of in the system, not really you know they're 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 helping with some separation and keeping their eye on you but but there's still a lot that is your responsibility and they're not giving you guidance but but it feels a little bit at times like they are so um, yeah it was I was flying up to to, um, to Sanford maine from uh, Norwood and in in, in the in the Boston area, you know, under the Bravo, no under a shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hadn't, I've since then done a little more flying in this area and I know it a little better. And I'll probably talk about that in a future flight, but this was sort of brand new. And I was talking to the guys who trained me and and I said, Hey, how do you, what do I do? Oh, just, you know, tell them what you tell, tell them what you want to do. And they'll give you some, they, you know, they should clear you. often going North. They sort of said to me often, you know, they'll clear you through and they did. So I took off, uh, you know, was, was, W- was transferred to to uh, departure, I guess, and uh, and they cleared me into the Bravo at the at the altitude I, I requested to go all the way up to uh, to Sanford, which is like a piece of cake. Great, and I think that had to do a lot, and it often has to do a lot given where Logan is here, with how with what the winds are and how they're landing at Logan. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so northbound, I got cleared through, climbed climbed to where I needed to climb. I don't I don't remember the exact details, but I you know headed up to Sanford, and so sort I of thought, wow, this is just this is simple. So you know had had uh, you know had coffee, lunch there, whatever, and then and then you know headed straight back. Well, the return trip is often, as I found out later, not as simple. Um, they 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 tend to not you know they want you, they want you to get clearing out of there when you're heading out. But when you're coming in, the you know, there there's there's less likelihood that you're gonna get cleared in. And I didn't really know that. And you know, you get the sense when you're when they're talking to you that there in some ways that that you know there's some clearances happening that you know and I sort of spaced on the fact that there at the time that there aren't. It was a great lesson to learn. But so I um you know was heading sort of southwest toward uh toward the Bravo and was probably well I was I certainly was above the 4000 feet of the little shelf that's right there where I was where I was entering just sort of near um near Lawrence mm-hmm. and um I got a little it was great. I mean the guy was really great. I just got a uh, I think the statement was something like are you familiar with Boston's class? Bravo! And um, you know, my, my mind—I knew—I knew what that meant. I mean, I—I I, done enough studying to know what that meant. I looked straight ahead and I went, "Oh, he's not—he's not helping me at all with this thing." This is my—I'm pilot in command, and I—you know—all of a sudden my head got wrapped around what had happened, and I, and I—you know—and I—you know, given that the Atlantic Ocean is was to my left. I banked right instinctively and sort of, you know, stayed out of it. I couldn't get down fast enough. That wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I got, you know, nicely got some warning and got out of there, got mm-hmm. out of the way and, and then swung around, uh, and, uh, actually just made it the long way around. But it, you know, it, I, at first it threw me I thought, well, this, I'm just supposed to, this guy's going to help get me back to Norwood. No, <laughs> not so much. So uh, it was a good, it was a good Lesson. I mean, I'm very much more aware of the limitations of the service. It's great, and I love it, and it really is a nice added bit of, of security uh, on cross-countries, but it also is, is only what it is. And those of you who fly Instrument, you know, you know that because you're in the actual system. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, that was my story. It was, it was good. I uh, worked out fine. I, didn't, I did not get one of those. I've got a phone number. Write this num- phone <laughs> number down. Mm-hmm.
2: That's terrific. Yeah. So, so that, was, then what you did is you went around to the west of it? Is that what happened? Yeah, so then I
3: swung see. I swung west and, and swung around. I, I actually think, though, <laughs> I swung around, but I actually probably, as I recall now, navigated. There's a little um, Hanscom is there, and the uh, the Bravo starts at 3,000, but Hanscom ends at 2,600. So there's about a 400-foot little mm, needle yeah. you can thread. And um, I believe I did that to the, to the east side of Hanscom. Uh, in the in the shelf that's that's three thousand to seven thousand, I probably was at you know twenty seven hundred and got you know talked to Hanscom and they cleared me through and it was all it was all good. But I didn't go all the way around, which in my my head is always the safest option, which is to which is to almost head completely out of it um, and, and and then come back in toward Norwood. It's funny and this is something we'll talk about in the future. And this is probably true of people in different parts of the country learning to fly. In different airports, in the case of Boston and flying out of Norwood, um, it's easy to fly generally south, southeast, southwest, and west, but it, it's flying north north, and northeast that are a challenge because of that shelf and because of the Bravo, and, and I've begun i began doing that more and and having fun with it because it it's it's totally doable but it's one of those things some of the rules are unwritten and i've gotten some good advice from some pilots about you know the unofficial corridors and what people tend to do and and uh we'll talk about that another time okay interesting
2: well there, there are some really neat airspace you have up there i'm just looking at it on flight, and i'd love to hear some of your other endeavors as far as doing cross-countries
3: uh, yeah, and it'll be a, it'll be it'll be good. I, I do have some more recent ones that uh, that were again great learning experiences, which is what all this is about. Oh yeah, yeah, wow,
2: terrific.
1: Well, I learned a new term last week at work. Uh, we were at actually it was two weeks ago. We were at Newark, and they had some severe weather coming through the area. There were some ground stops, the airport uh, the airport was operating on a reduced capacity. They had some, some of the airways and some of the departure fixers were closed down for weather. And one of the turboprop operators called up and asked for a sermon route. Have you guys ever heard of a sermon route?
3: No, it's a religious thing, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I
1: was like, I'm not sure what he's asking for. So I wrote down sermon route in my notebook, and I got home and I looked it up. And, yeah, actually, um, it's,
2: a, it's a great tool to use, is the sermon routes. Yeah. But, now,
1: uh, the only information that I found is pertaining to New York airspace. So do you know, is it just a New York thing, uh, Carl? Right. Or
2: I assume it is because that's because getting out of New York, like say going to Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. uh, I'll ask for 8,000 feet. And I'll say, hey, can I get a sermon route done to D.C.? Okay. And uh, and they'll say, sure. You know, here's 8,000, and they'll, they'll give me, you know, do it the old school. Okay, Victor this to Victor that mm-hmm. to Victor that. And then when you're flying through the airspace, you're like, "Well, what are you again?" <laughs> right. But yeah, that's something that that doesn't come up that often. It's one of those kind of things you can pull out of your bag of tricks. And I, yeah, I honestly didn't know it either till uh, somebody had reminded me. Say, "Hey, you know, there's sermon routes. Just fly, fly below. You can't go above ten thousand, and uh, right, and you can go fly and get into uh, an area that you never would have." Um, but, uh, you know, I guess you'll go ahead and explain, you know, what the sure. Sermon route means and all. But sure. sure.
1: Yeah, so basically the acronym itself, Sermon, which is uh, S-E-R-M-N, pronounced Sermon, uh, it stands for SWAP Escape Routes Metro New York. And uh, just as Carl was alluding to their tower and route clearances, when the New York airspace is in SWAP, which is another acronym for severe weather avoidance program. Uh, so when you know when New York's having some issues with weather, you can ask for one of these sermon routes and just as he said, basically you can get out of the airport on one of these routes, but you won't be going above ten thousand feet. And this particular document that I found references specifically New York's airspace is why I think that, you know, but even just by the name of it, I think it's in New York only. But it has uh, it, it it gives you a brief idea of if you were going north that you would be routed over Syracuse, Buffalo, Rochester, uh, if you were going to, let's see if there's any other information in here, it's just talking about the north in general, but uh, you know, it was interesting, I had no idea when I learned about it, I was like, man, that's something that I've been working out in New York for six years, and I didn't even know about that trick, and so now I've got something new to try out next time.
2: And and Len, can you you know I'd be interested in trying to read about that because I I learned this from someone else and I'd love to see that link that you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I'm
1: gonna include that in the show notes. I uh, it's it's just a the actual document that I found is from the Westchester Aviation Association. Uh, it was a it was a meeting that the Westchester airport tower had and it's basically just a meeting minutes of their meeting that they I guess it was online and I found it and it's got some information in there so I'll send that uh, or actually I'll submit that in the show notes as well for people to to take a look at but uh, it, was, it was you know it was a perfect example I had no idea what it was I figured hey this will make an interesting <laughs> topic for the podcast I learned something new so there you go sermon routes, swap excuse me swap escape routes metro new york very interesting
0: wow. very
3: cool That is awesome.
0: Wow. Our picks of the week.
1: How about we go into uh, our first segue into our picks of the week and what this is ladies and gentlemen is each one of us one, one of the co-hosts here on the show every week uh, or every episode every podcast episode we're going to be sharing with you a aviation product software website anything that's aviation related that we have either recently become aware of or used that we found helpful and useful so uh, Rick how about you share yeah. your uh, what's your what's your pick of the week
3: sure my my pick of the week is is actually one that probably everyone's used and and knows about except there's a new version of it, and so I thought it was worth it to get that out there. Sure. Partly to, (laughs) partly because I'm probably going to always, everyone will discover I'm I'm a fairly well-known Apple fanboy uh, for for Apple (laughs) products, but This what I'm going to talk about is uh, is the Android release of something. Just because I know there's a lot of people out there um, using Android, and Mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, Live ATC, the Live ATC app. Which um, I don't know if you guys have used that. Yes. Either. Mm -hmm. And you know, for me, I being a GA pilot, my own airport and other airports, it is just such a great learning tool. Maybe it's true of everybody to listen to you know to to ATC, and Mm -hmm. especially if the weather you know has some some. Challenges around it and and there's certain things that you might be listening for how they're routing people or how they're doing things whatever So I have always used it in the car. I have I have a bluetooth enabled thing So I I sometimes drive around just listening to listening to live atc. Well, the the app for the uh, The ios universe has been out for a while Mm -hmm. But the the word is that I think in the next few days and probably soon just a few days maybe before we are able to release this uh, podcast, it will be out for Android. And I encourage everybody to get it because, you know, now boy, there's nothing better than, than, than listening to that stuff, I think. So that's my, that's my pick this week and sort of a heads up for people to look for that who have Android uh, out there.
1: Have you met Dave at, any yes. of the, at the UCAP meetups? I think that's sometimes where he...
3: Yeah, I have, and in fact, I, I verified with him that I could I could plug the app today just ah, because I, go. <laughs> I, wasn't sure of, I wasn't sure of the timing. I had heard him talking about it, and okay. I thought it was already out. And so, yeah, he he uh, said uh, he said go for it. And um, you know, it's great. The other day, the other day, I don't know if we, we were talking about this, but that that the go around of uh, of Air Force One, not right. go around, the miss the of correct, Air Force yeah. One. Um, was just and it was there, you know, it was there in the archives. Now that was on the website, which I don't know that you can access the archives as easily through the app. But either way, the whole live ATC infrastructure is, um, it's just a great learning tool, and I'm, you know, much better at being ready to hear what I'm going to hear because of the rhythm of listening to that uh, channel. So, mm-hmm. very neat. so yeah,
1: there you go. I used it one day when I was out doing a photo shoot at uh, Reagan National, and I. I was thinking, boy, it would be neat to hear the airplanes. And I was like, you know what? I know there's an app for this. I know there's a live ATC app. So I downloaded it. I put in my earbuds. And I'm standing there with my camera listening to these guys on tower fly over. <laughs> yeah.
3: Did was- you, could, you, could you perceive um, – it's probably not much of a delay. But I would imagine the digitizing process and the retransmission through the Internet delays it from, say, if you had a radio.
1: Uh, it probably does. I don't think that it was instantaneous, just by judging.
3: But you couldn't watch you like you're watching a plane land, and then you see it, you know, cleared for landing. It, it, my guess is the difference is is negligible. Yeah, it was term-
1: mostly yeah, mostly negligible because yeah. I was hearing folks being cleared for the approach yeah, and landing, uh, and I'm you know as far as necessarily what it was, but uh, yeah, it worked. It was a nice little tool that I used just to kind of listen on and what was going on. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, so that's mine.
2: Very cool. All right, Carl, what do you got for us? Well, you know, I actually have two, and and one of them was Live ATC. <laughs> and uh, it was for oh, the iPhone.
1: it's popular <laughs> this week. Yes, it is.
2: And it was for the iPhone because, what it, you know, I had a, had a student who uh, had some difficulty with a transmission. I said, listen, why don't you just, just take a radio and sit by the airport or sit at home and listen to Live ATC? Mm-hmm and uh I actually got on there and took a look at it and said, "You know I think there's an app for this and and uh, of course, that's the way i always say and and I got online and I was able to to download that app and it is terrific i i do I do like that a lot, but uh you know the uh the live that live a t c is just uh just a great training tool, and also uh you can just you can sit there and as they're talking pretend like you're the person talking yes. to the controller and then you say what you want want you you think you should say and we'll mm-hmm. actually we'll talk about that we'll turn it off and say hey listen what do you think you should say and right. then, and then we'll say that but uh but i did have a backup to that just in case someone did do live atc <laughs> and and that is the uh i i'm just actually getting i just downloaded it all as the flight guide uh, uh eifb for the uh, ipad uh it's oh. the um uh, that just came out, the air guide publications that we were talking about yes mm-hmm. uh, now and and something else that 's interesting too about the flight guide publications that I just found out is that the new format they have you know that it 's now spiral bound uh, that and it 's not just in the the binders where that you can clip it in there's um mm-hmm. it 's actually printed spiral bound and it 's actually cheaper for them to uh, do the updates that way oh, the way okay. that they publish it's I'm sure I'm assuming it's like print on demand that's why they they can do it that way and also the fact that they're not probably printing as many because so many people have the electronic flight bag uh, for the uh, um, for the flight guide and that has all the airspace and all that information it's just a terrific tool and this it's interesting because it's because of flight guide that I bought for flight
1: and the okay. reason
2: I say that. It's because when i went to sun and fun they said hey listen we're coming out with this app for the ipad and it took them uh longer than i had anticipated it was it seemed like a year or longer before they actually got this onto the ipad and i used the ipad quite a bit and I said, okay, where is it? Where is it? And then I said, well, I need to find something because I want to have something while I'm in the airplane mm-hmm. uh, with my student, specifically, mm-hmm. actually, so I don't bust airspace. And that was what was terrific about Four Flight; it actually had the GPS on there. And this, uh, the uh, the one for the uh, the flight guide uh, application actually has, uh, I think, a safe taxi also. But that was uh, that's something I'm not going to comment on because I need to. Uh, to uh, actually try it before I comment, but Safe Taxi basically it'll follow you along the taxiway right. and show where your airplane is nice. on the airport. So,
3: no, I, knew, uh, I I that, went right. I went right to it. I'm looking at it. I notice it's a looks like it's a 30 day free trial, mm-hmm. and then I assume mm-hmm. there is some degree of uh, you know service that you would, you would pay for. I assume.
2: Yeah. It's, well, there's there's many different levels that they come up with, and you're uh, You know, they have the VFR, the you know the IFR. Those okay. are different levels, and then they have the pro oh. uh, plan and those with the uh, you know IFR and route charts, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Then they go into uh, the, the, the plus plans, which I think that's the one that has uh, the uh, geo-referencing. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. it's the uh, geo-referencing. In other words, you can actually look where you are, look at your, right. your iPad, and it'll show you where you are on both the approach and also on the taxiway diagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and- pretty
3: cool. And so, from your point, just a sense now from your point of view, it's it's worth it for certain pilots maybe to have both of both for flight and this product.
2: I I don't know yet. See, I I think what's going to happen to me, and and, but you know, I hate to say this, is I may go from for flight to this. But I I won't say that because I love. Four flights i'm just gonna have to see yeah. if i'm gonna be doing that or not but for most of my career flying general aviation i have been using the flight guys because mm-hmm. it has all the information that i need when i get to the airport mm-hmm.
3: right well i'm downloading it now so you've got one convert at least to start <laughs> at least to try it i think it's great <laughs> yeah it looks, well that's it why looks... i'm
2: in that try it mode and i so far i've been excited about it okay. very cool
3: yeah Right. And can I let me just go back to uh, live ATC one more yeah, time? Sure. Which is just to say to people, if you don't know about this and, and you're just now discovering live ATC, um, and you're near an airport that isn't there, you should contact uh, Dave or live ATC to talk about it because that's kind of how this grows. Is he sets up the hardware? If there's a if there's an internet connection, um, he can you know he can work with you to get you know our receiver and mm-hmm. you know and digitizing computer set up to, to add it because especially if you're a student flying out of an airport where it's not online you can probably make it be online right. if you uh, if you want so that's all
1: right so you can you can reach them at either liveatc.net or Twitter.com forward slash liveatc and probably submit a request somewhere yeah. through one of those means. Cool. we am gonna do that. Yeah, that was actually a good recommendation.
3: <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I did. Norwood didn't have one, and I, you know, we, I I met him and went, hey, how, let's, how do we do this? And we and he worked it out. Cool. cool. And and you were able to. Well, Good I work. wish I'd live near Norwood uh, because then I would just have it at my house. But uh, because it's not a huge bandwidth uh, hog. But but no, what happened was I coordinated sort of his contact with the uh, FBO and said, you know, hey, you know, you would you would you mind? And they and, and they get a mansion, I think, on the web page or something. It's there's some degree of you know exchange there that helps them, and why not? And then it helps their students. So mm-hmm. great,
2: yeah. Well, I'm gonna look into that now.
3: Yeah, very cool. Thanks,
2: Rick. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, my uh, my products is something that actually Rick referred me to. He's been using, but it is the aircraft patch cord, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I just I used it last week. It was actually something when well, I was kind of talking about previously in this episode about uh, coming up with some ideas for for some discussions on departure and arrival briefings. I wanted to have the cord and test it out because I was thinking about doing some in-flight video regarding that, so I got this, I asked Rick what it was, he gave me the name of it, I ordered it off of uh, aircraftspruce.com, and uh, it's real simple, it's just a electronic cord that plugs into the aircraft uh, headset port, and it has a connection where you plug your headset into it, and then you just put your microphone into the airplane mic port. And then off of it is a three, was it a three and a half millimeter lead cord that plugs into basically any tape recorder, uh, a video recorder, video camera. And hmm. you're a- you're able to capture the audio from not only air traffic control, but uh, the, the conversation going on in, in the airplane. So between yourself, the occupants, uh, Anybody that anything that comes over the entire aircraft aircraft intercom system will be recorded using this cable. So I picked that up off Aircraft Spruce and I gave it a shot last week. I used it, it was with my little Kodak Zi8 handheld camcorder and it worked out great. Uh, it was a great little uh, great little piece of equipment. So I appreciate the recommendation,
3: Rick. Sure, no problem. It's it's a great little thing. It's got the right impedance, setting, you know. So mm-hmm. people I know sometimes buy other things and. They aren't set up right. It's it's a, like a mic in, and it turns into a line in, or vice right. versa. This is this is set up correctly. the the only the only two things I would say, just as to people who are experimenting with this, is one, if you've got a complex intercom system where you can isolate mm-hmm. certain ports, you know, be aware that if you say have ATC not feeding the backseat passengers, you know, you, and you plug in there, you won't get that. So right. you just have to be aware of your own audio setup. And the other thing is, because uh, I do you know a lot of video editing. And it does often, when you plug it in, say to a camera, it will block the camera's mic. Yes, so yes. You, so if you want both, run a, run a separate recorder for ambient you know, engine noise. And that's right. sort of what I do because you, you, you end up with discrete channels, which is great for editing. Um, but people sometimes you know wonder, why, why does that happen? And it's because cameras aren't usually multi-channeled in terms of the, Correct. You know, one or the other. So yeah, but yeah it's... It's a great tool.
1: I didn't necessarily care to capture the the engine audio or any of that, so it was really nice. One thing, actually, since you do use this product, and I just used it this week, I found that uh, when I was previewing the video on the computer that the audio was kind of low i don't know if that's hmm. something that you've noticed uh it just didn't seem very loud i don't know maybe if i turned up the intercom volume
3: or the, yeah, it, the radio volume i've had some where i've had to in editing boost the audio a lot okay. and, I, and i don't think i did anything different structurally i think it may just have been i was I, I didn't need the uh, maybe my noise canceling headsets were so good i had the level down low i don't right. know but um yeah that's where you know it, there's a lot of little variables in this stuff you know you'll forget to do this or that because you know obviously the, the thing is flying not not recording it so mm-hmm. i figure if i've if i've forgotten anything i'd rather forget to turn the volume up <laughs> then then forget something else about flying you know right and now if
2: you were to do this now you have to be intrigued here the uh, the price is what about 35 dollars? yeah I think, that's correct so? mm-hmm. yeah. and uh if you want to record say your your conversations what would you use? I mean, what would you guys recommend? If you're
3: just trying, to, if you're just trying to record audio and you aren't doing video, in addition, I would go to your local office supply store and buy a digital recorder, mm-hmm. you know, a little okay. memo recorder, and make sure it has a mini plug-in. I used for years. I used a little Sony product. Um, stopped that only because I realized since I had the video running anyway and I had a video camera with a with a line in, and I had to input the video, it saved me one extra input path mm-hmm. from having just to do that single audio thing, but. But yeah, if you just want to capture audio, go out and look for something that'll, that'll you know, did a little digital recorder, and most of them have line in, and um, and it works or mic in, it works on a mic in, right. so um, and it, it's great, and then you know you'll offload that to your computer.
1: I tried it the other day just for giggles by plugging it into my iPhone uh, headset <laughs> port. Yeah. But I was running the just a regular the iOS voice memos app and as soon as I booted up the application I could see on the on on the meter there that it was picking up the aircraft ambient noise. So it clearly wasn't it wasn't yeah. using the the mic in as it does because you, you can actually use the iPhone headset uh, just as you do when you're in a conversation with a hands free device. It right. will use with Voice Memos application on, on the device, right. but it didn't recognize that cable. No, and I was the wondering. Mini,
3: the mini plug in is only is striped, it doesn't have enough. Right. Sections to it to hit the part of the iPhone I think that is that is audio in right. that, that if you I think if you look at the iPhone cable it's got three yeah, three sections yeah, yeah exactly and I think the one you're you're looking at only has two um, it, but you know if you really wanted to do that I know there are people who got some kind of mics to work with iPhones and i um, iPads by using this is just, this is not the topic for an aviation podcast so I'll say it quick the plug that plugs the the iPad thing that plugs into the bottom of the ipad that lets you input pictures yeah a the little, camera adapter the camera kit ca- mm-hmm. i think that has a usb on it, it and you can and some usb mics at least for a while used to work with that for inputting to an ipad i don't know if they still do because that's that could be a software thing that got that got I, changed but hey. i
1: heard that it did and i also thought that i heard that it had finally stopped working potentially okay,
3: there you go well a little, but, uh, you know little there ge- m- Conversation here.
1: There may be an iPhone app too, Carl, if you're interested in looking it up. I I just gave it a quick demo as you know, testing everything out using the cable last week. And I know just using the stock equipment that I was unable to use the the built in app with the cable just on the iPhone. So, unless I find a different app that may recognize it or have a different functionality, you're better off, like he said, like Rick said, with just a small some sort of digital recorder. I, I don't think they're that much money
2: either no. anyway. No. Well, I tell you with these these flip videos, I'm even thinking of going that route possibly. Yeah. You know, yeah, video tipping. It. They're so cheap now. Mm-hmm. The
1: trick the
3: trick on any of those small cameras just make sure they got a line in cuz not all of them do. Right. My mic I'm in. In. sorry.
2: Correct. Mic, mic in. in, right, right. Okay. I will do that. I will do. Yeah. that. Interesting, great stuff. The
0: after landing checklist.
1: Well, I, uh, does anybody have anything else that they forgot to mention this evening? I think I've gone through all of my exciting items for the week.
2: Oh, I was going to say, yes. just one more side on, on audiotaping and videotaping. Um, I started doing this back in the, let's see, in the late 90s. I tried videotaping my students' lessons, and I brought along my camera, and back then I, they were kind of expensive, and I broke one during a stall. <laughs> Oh, yeah. my camera so um, that's why i'm very careful and cautious going forward with this whole <laughs> <Yeah. new> purchase because <laughs> that was like 800 dollars camera i broke <laughs>
3: well i my first uh, you know i wasn't doing i was doing stuff with a flip and i i thought i'm gonna ramp this up a bit so my first flight after my you know after my check ride was um I borrowed a friend's, you know, pretty nice, you know, little HD camera. And I didn't break it, but I learned a lesson on it. And I don't have that flight recorded because it was a hard drive camera. It had a hard mm-hmm. hard drive internal and it shuts off when vibration gets too extreme to protect the hard drive. So, oh. I got a bit of the takeoff roll and then nothing. And then I didn't know, you know, and then I landed, and looked at it and I got nothing. So I learned that you know, get a small little portable, which is solid state, or make sure you, if you buy a nicer, bigger camera, that it is a solid state, you know, camera that doesn't <laughs> have a spinning hard drive.
1: Mm-hmm. Good point.
3: Anyway, and I'll just throw in uh, unrelated, I know we're going to wrap up here. I want to uh, just throw out a little shout out to my friend Jim uh, Cutler, who uh, who you will have heard recorded the uh, the uh, intro and other voice uh, elements for this podcast. And he, he did me a favor, and I really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. Send us uh, send us appreciation. His way from us, too. I will. Excellent. All right, folks. Well, this is, uh, once again, this has been the episode two of the Stuck Mike Avcast. And it's been a real pleasure recording this audio session for you. And we look forward to you guys uh, tuning in next time. You can reach us at StuckMikeAvcast.com or on Twitter at Twitter.com forward slash StuckMikeAvcast. And we're also on Facebook And uh, if you check on the website, if you want to get in contact with any of us individually on the website, there's a meet the host pages, which we're still currently building out, but they should have the links right now for you to reach us individually on Twitter. So it's been a pleasure uh, making this episode for you guys and uh, everybody wishes you clear skies and calm winds. Take care.
0: Costa Production.